Well, good morning. Did everybody sleep well last night? Yes. Well, I am excited about this time that we can have just as ladies. And um, I first of all just want to say thank you to your pastor and his pa- and your pastor's wife. I um, I see them at pastors. Um, fellowships and different things like that, but it's been really nice this weekend just to get to know them better. And I'm always thankful for good, godly Christian friends the Lord puts in our lives and people we can learn from and pick their brain about things in ministry. (laughs) And I'm also thankful for Kenny and Becky. I see them every year at at camp and we spend time with them and um, just watching them with your young people and what a blessing they are. Their spirit at camp and it's just a blessing. And so I'm very thankful for that, that we kind of have our paths cross on um, different times of the year. But I'm thankful for this conference and I'm thankful for each of you that have come. Um, you know, that you've, you've put that importance in your marriage and in your home. And, you know, I'm reminded of this. Really, and we were talking about this a little bit last night, our church is only going to be as strong as the homes that are in it, you know? And the fact that you've taken time out of your schedule, um, money that you could have used for a new outfit or whatever, <laughs> you know, a pedicure, manicure, and decided to come and do this, that you put your importance on this is, is very important. And, and I'm thankful for that. And I don't want to waste your time today. And I hope that this weekend has been a help to you and an encouragement. Let me encourage you. One of the strongest things, and I know he, in the skit they kind of said it, but is communication, being able to talk with your spouse. And, and you know, this kind of arena, it's really nice. We have a, just to give you a little history, we have a 23-year-old a 20-year-old, and then we have an 8-year-old. The Lord kind of, I think he has a sense of humor. But um, <laughs> you know, and it, but it was nice this weekend just for Carrie and I to get away. We always have the little one with us. And um, just for us to even sit and have adult conversation without somebody needing something. And so I'm, I'm thankful that you came and made this a priority this weekend. Let's get into our lesson this morning. I wanted, I wanted to share some things, kind of more of a topical study. We're going to kind of go through some things, but things that have really helped me and, you know, Carrie and I have been married um, a couple weeks. It'll be 26 years, and we're still growing. I don't think we'll ever have that. We strive towards having that perfect marriage, and I am so thankful for my husband. I, I can't say it enough. He, um, I do believe I got God's best. You know, I'm thankful for a good, godly home I was raised in and that the importance of that. I'm thankful for him. I'm thankful for his leadership in our home. But we're still growing together every day, even though we've been married for 26 years. I'm thankful for where we are now as to where we were when we first started. <laughs> we worked through a lot of things. I wouldn't want to start over by any means, but um, I am thankful for that. But you know, every day we still grow. We still have to communicate. We still work through issues. And, and I'm thankful for um, the Word of God that leads us and guides us, give us, gives us the principles that we can learn from. But today I just want to talk to you about making just an ordinary marriage extraordinary. You know, um, it really makes me sad to see some ladies in our church or counsel some ladies, and they just exist in their marriage. They don't really enjoy it. They, they just have been married forever, and they know um, divorce isn't an option, so they just exist together. And I, that is not what God's intended for our homes or for our marriage. He's brought us together to enjoy each other. And there's just some principles today I want to encourage you of your part that you can have in your marriage to make it just that, that better thing. Let's pray, and we'll get into it. Lord, I do thank you for this opportunity that you've given us. I thank you for each lady, Lord, that's come and, Lord, um, wants to invest in her marriage to make it better, Lord, more pleasing to you. And I pray today that you'd speak to our hearts as ladies, to our responsibility and what we can do on our part to make our marriage more what you intended it to be. Lord, thank you for the institution of marriage, that you saw that it was not good for man to be alone and you brought a helpmate. And God, today, I just pray that you'd work in our lives 
that you'd help us to be the helpmeet that you'd have us to be. Thank you for loving us. In your precious name we pray. Amen. If you turn to Philippians chapter 1, I want to kind of use this verse. Let me give you this definition really quick. Um, Ordinary is what the dictionary calls of no special quality or interest. It's commonplace. It's unexceptional. It's plain or undistinguished. And, and, you know, just to have an ordinary marriage is just run-of-the-mill. You, you know, your unsaved neighbors, your coworkers can have an ordinary marriage. But to have something that's extraordinary, it says this. Extraordinary means it'll go beyond what's usual, regular, customary. It's noteworthy. It's remarkable. And isn't that the type of marriage that we all desire to have? Something that is exceptional, extraordinary. Here in um, Philippians chapter 1, let's look at verses 9 and 10. And it says this. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. You know, for something to abound, and he says not just more, but more and more. It's even greater. That he wants you to just not have this, that your love may just abound, but he wants it to abound even more. And not just even more, but more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent. Notice his wording there. I love the Bible, don't you? How not, Nothing is in there by chance. And, and just by happenstance, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. You know, we grow in love. We grow in our love when we learn more about who God is and God's love for us. And, and that's what he, he, he desires for us. He says here, too, that in addition to love, includes, it includes judgment and discernment. Discernment helps us love better by allowing us to focus on God's kind of love. You know, the problem in most marriages is selfish love. We want our needs met. We want, it, we want somebody to love us the way that we need to be loved. And we forget how to love somebody the way that Christ loved them and loves us. Have you ever um, done the five languages of love? Have you ever seen that book by Gary Chapman? If, if you haven't, I would encourage you to do that. That is a great book. You take a test. And, you know, in that book, I discovered that a lot of times I love my husband the way that I want to be loved. My needs, my love language is words of affirmation. I'm like that black lab, you know, at a girl and my tail will just wag and I will serve you forever. You know, I, I want that. I want somebody to say, you're doing a good job. Oh, you're pretty. You're, you're, you're doing a, you know, you raise our kids. You make our home nice. Those things, I will, I will follow you and please you forever. And when those words aren't there, it's devastating to me. Now, my husband, his is time spent. But, you know, I can tell him all day long, oh, you're handsome, I love you, Um, you make my world, you know, (laughs) you set the moon and the stars and the sky. And you know what, those things are nice, but those aren't his love language. But I can take time out of my schedule to spend with him and go do something, and that goes high on his list. And I have to learn to speak his language, not just mine. I need to love him the way that he needs to be loved. But most marriages are ordinary because each spouse is more, more focused on their own needs. And that's true. And a lot of times we look at why my needs aren't being met and why you're not loving me the way I need to be loved. And you know what? We both end up in frustration. It's something, you know, God brought us together, but both of us have to work together in this. And in, and in order for our marriage to grow more and more, we must have a greater need and understanding of every, each other's needs. You know, the greatest commandment in the Bible is found in Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40. It says this, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And we're going to get into this a little bit of how to love our spouse the way that he needs to be it. Um, 
I'm going to give us six little points on how to make our marriage um, what it needs to be. And you know what? As we work towards meeting each other's needs, the opposite actually takes place. I think in our minds, a lot of times we think, if I if I try to please my husband and I meet his needs and I love him the way that he needs to be met, his needs need to be met, then I'm going to lack. I'm going to be suffer because my needs aren't going to be met. And you know what? Really, the opposite happens. As we learn to love our spouse and meet his needs, it creates in him a way that he meets our needs, and, and, it's, and it's, it's given back. And you know, we see that a lot of times, that, um, but you have to put it to the test. A lot of times we don't get that, and we, 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 fr- we get frustrated, and we end up in this cycle of my needs not being met. But when we turn our focus on the other person, you know, my mom was really wise. When I was a kid, I was so homesick. I was, I was a homebody. My parents would leave, and I would just, like, fall apart. College was horrible. You know, I sat in my room and cried for the first three weeks. And my mom said, Amy, you're just going to make yourself miserable. She said, you need to get out, and you need to invest yourself in other people. And I started working on a bus route. And you know what I found? As I was putting my life into somebody else's lives, I wasn't worried about my own life. And, you know, I've learned that through life. You stay busy, and you invest in other people. And you know what? You don't focus so much on on the things that you're not getting. You feel more fulfilled in giving to somebody else. And that's a great principle to learn. So we're going to see six steps that just simple things, but things that maybe just a reminder. This might not be anything new to you. But these are things that I think are so important in our marriage. The first thing is that we need to support our husbands spiritually. Um, and I say that in a way for you to support your husband spiritually, you have to do something in your life. I think so many times as a wife, and we are one flesh, you know, when we were married, God, God says that, that the twain shall be one flesh. But I put too much pressure on my husband to meet every one of my needs. I put pressure on my husband to give me peace, to give me um, fulfillment. All of these things I put on him. And you know what? I can drain my husband by, by trying to make him make me feel a certain way and meet needs. We need to allow God to be first in our lives, first and foremost, and allow God to make those things in our life. You know, um, I read a statement one time, and it's really good. It says this, even a great husband makes a poor God. And you know what that means? A lot of times I put pressure on my husband to make me feel a certain way or to meet needs in my life that really God wants to meet. That needs to be God doing those things in my life. And when I put that pressure on my husband... It's not fair to him, and I can drain him. John 15, 5 and 6, it talks about us abiding in the vine. It talks about a year, the husband, and it goes through all about it. As, as you abide in the vine, you bear more fruit. And that fruit that's produced, as we see in Galatians chapter 5, it's talking about the fruits of the Spirit. We see love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith, temperance. All of these things that we need to be developed in our lives, we can't expect our husbands to do that for us. And we need to find our security. Let me encourage you. I think one of the greatest things, maybe you're not, but most women I've talked to, we all are insecure beings. We may look like we have it all together on the outside and, you know, our hair is always imperfect and our clothes are perfect and our nails are perfect. But, you know, inside all of us have these things that are insecurities. Maybe we don't feel good about ourselves or we feel fat, we feel ugly. Maybe, Maybe growing up you were raised in a home that was abusive or things like that and you have these insecurities. You have to find yourself. You need to find those things, those things that are missing in your life. You need to find those in the Lord first. You know, trying to have your husband fill those voids in your life is going to end up making him frustrated. And, and you're going to feel unfulfilled. A great study that I had to do in my life was um, Psalms 139. And if you just go through that passage and just go through each verse and realize who you are in Christ, 
You know, he knew you before you were formed. He knows your thoughts, you know. You know he knows your uprising and your downsitting. He knows your thoughts afar off. He understandeth your ways. You know, if you there's nowhere that you can go where you're out of the presence of the Lord. It says in that passage that he will, you can praise him for you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Everything about you is detailed, designed by God. And when you put your security in the Lord Jesus Christ, it really takes a burden off your husband trying to make you feel a certain way. And, you know, for me to expect these consistently for my spouse isn't fair. And um, I read somewhere something that has really helped me, and it's living for an audience of one. You know, so many times I try to be, I want, you know, you think you're going to get these awards. You're going to be mother of the year or wife of the year, and you're going to go home, and there's going to be trophies and flowers and a big parade. And, you know, and you can live and strive for those things, and you may never get it. But you know what? If you live for an audience of one, If you seek every day to please the Lord Jesus Christ and everything, you keep your eyes and your focus on him, that as you wake up, you say, Lord, I'm not sure how to be a good wife today. I'm not sure how to be a good mom. I'm not sure the decisions and the things you're going to bring in my life. But today, utmost and foremost, I'm going to make you my priority. Today, I'm going to please you. And as you do that, he gives you grace. He gives you wisdom. And you see things fall into place, things that circumstances and the things that come up that usually would make you fall apart you're able to handle it more because you know what? You're focused on pleasing the Lord and in that you become a wife that you need to be. And you know, you understand through that you'll be fulfilling your husband's needs. You know, so many times I think we put um, undue pressure on our husbands. There was a survey that was done with husbands and they said, you know, to be honest, I wish my wife would just understand how much I love her. I want her to I want her to feel special. I want to make her feel this way, but I feel like there's something missing in her life and if I knew what it was, I would fix it. But I think so many times she doesn't even know what it is. Have you ever been there? You know, you want you want your husband you want to feel a certain way, but you can't even put your own finger on what it is that you need and your husband can go out and kill himself to buy you everything and it's just not always it's not enough. But when you find that and you find your security in the Lord Jesus Christ, everything else is a bonus, really. But it says it said in this, sub, this survey that these men went and they said, I wish my wife would just know how much I love her and how much I desire to meet her needs. And, you know, um, I, wish, I wish she could just grasp that, that I'm not out trying to be mean or, or ignore her or not meet her needs. I just don't really know how to do that. And you know what? We put undue pressure on our husbands, and we need to support him spiritually. And we do that, first of all, by being what we need to be spiritually, by finding our place in Christ, by being secure in that. Another area that we can support our husband spiritually is, you know, we don't have the ability to change our husband. You know, there's no perfect husband out there. You know, my daughter is 23, and I think she is, and I'm thankful she has very high standards. She's a strong, she's going to need a really strong man. But she's always like, Mom, I just don't want to waste time dating. I just want to find one guy and marry him. And I'm like, well, that would be perfect. But, you know, I said, Abby, the guys you're looking at, they're not going to be where they are in 20 years. You know, every person has room to grow. And, you know, but as we get married, you know, dating and all that's bliss. They talk about love is blind. You have those rose glasses on and then you get married and you realize he wakes up with bad breath. You know, if everything was like a Hallmark movie, it would be wonderful. You know, I love Hallmark movies. My kids think they're so stupid because every one of them has the same plot. The couple, they find each other, they go through a hard time. Everyone ends with a kiss, you know, but I mean, every Hallmark movie ends with them kissing for the first time, but it's, you know, it goes through this whole series of things and, you know, um, and, but isn't that nice? If you watch those movies, those people, it doesn't even look like they really have jobs. 
and they're always dressed beautifully. Their hair is perfect. I have never seen a Hallmark movie where a girl's hair is messed up, where her make she doesn't have makeup on, where her house is a mess, and they always have these beautiful homes that are decorated like Joanna Gaines had just been there. And, you know, that's not the real world, and we can get caught up in that. But you know what? We live in a, in a real world, you know, where our husband, you know, the laundry basket can be right there and the socks sit right there. And you just think, that's probably my number one thing. It's like, they can just go like two, two inches, you know, inside, you know, and um, try those basketball skills, <laughs> get them in there. But you know what? There's things about our husband, whether it's something petty as far as picking up your laundry to some great needs. Sometimes we see some character things in our husband and let me encourage you not to, to not to nag. You know, the Bible talks about that, um, Proverbs 27, 15, a continual dropping in a very rainy day and a contentious woman, woman are alike. We used to have a thing when I traveled with a singing group and the guys would think it's funny if the girls were complaining about something. All of a sudden you hear the guys and they'd be like, drip, drip, drip. And then they'd all kind of start coming in. And that has always stayed in my mind that I don't want to be that drip. Have you ever tried to sleep at night and a faucet's dripping? You know, you think about those torture things where they make people just hear dripping. And that, you know, you think about that, the nagging that you are trying to change your husband. Drip, drip. Maybe in your mind when you start to nag, think, I don't want to be that drip in my husband's life. But you know what? There's things in our husband's life that we can't change. But you know, there is one that can. And I read a great book a couple years ago. And actually, I read it just because I thought it was great. And I thought, how can I pray for my husband? How can I help him more? It was called The Power of a Praying Wife by Stormia Martian. And I was really kind of taken back at the first chapter I read. It was talking about how this woman has gone through this horrible marriage. And her, you know, her husband, they had kind of separated. And she began to pray, Lord, change my husband, change my husband, change my husband. And in praying that, God kind of showed her, why don't you pray for God to change you? And as he changes you, he changes your husband, or he'll change your view on some things. You know, sometimes I think we think we know all and we have everything down, and we see things in our husband. It might not be a character flaw in him. It may be something in our life. And as we begin to pray for God to change us, God will either change us to be able to deal with it, or he'll change our husband and, and you know, work in the situation. The problem is a lot of times we don't include God. We try to do the fixing because we're women. We can look at a problem and try to fix it ourselves. And we need to let the Lord do that. You know, um, another book I was reading, I thought this was so great. And this is something I've just started doing recently. But it was talking about praying for your husband, every part of him. As you pray for your husband, you pray for his mind, that God would protect his mind, that God would give him a clear mind, a mind that would be able to to think clearly and, and, and be intelligent and help him if your husband, you know, my husband's a pastor and I pray for great wisdom as he leads the church and as he deals with people, gives wisdom and counsel and guides the church. It's a great responsibility that falls on him with all the people in the church and the finances and all of that. And then you pray for your husband's eyes. You just pray for every part of his body. You pray for his eyes that they'll look on the things they should, that God would protect his vision, that he would have a vision for the things he needs to have. You know, um, sometimes my husband scares me with his vision. <laughs> He'll come and every time it's like, oh, I think we need to start this new ministry. And I'm like, there are so many hours in a day. But, you know, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the, the things that the Lord camp. You know, when he first started talking about doing camp, I thought, oh, Carrie, it's easy just to go and be a part of somebody else's. And then we took on junior camp, and now he's talking about a Spanish ministry. I mean, he, he, and I, but you know what? I'm thankful for that. If we're not, we wouldn't be moving forward. But I need to pray for his vision, that it's not, not just things to fill up a schedule, but it's things that God gives him. And then you pray for his mouth, that as he speaks, words of kindness. And you pray for his ears, the things he listens to. And you pray for his heart, 
that God will put his heart in the right places, that he'll love you the way he needs to love you and meet your needs. You pray for his hands, and you get the picture. You pray for everything. You pray for his feet. But as you pray for your husband, just start at the top and work down, that God will work in his life. Here's another area, and this is not a curse word, but we do need to learn to be submissive. The Bible's very clear about that. And I know Carrie kind of talked about this a little bit yesterday in First Peter, but it says, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they that they also may without the word be won by the conversation or the behavior of the wife. And you know, by us learning to be submissive, um, when we follow that pattern that God has set of submission, we actually draw our husband's hearts toward God. You know, not everything has to be an argument. We don't always have to be right. Sometimes it's just, and there's things that sometimes Carrie wants to do that I think, I really don't want to do that. But you know what? As I submit, God will work in his heart. A lot of times we're standing in the way of God working. And that's, that's one of the things, you know, with, with humility and with submission, somebody that's in submiss- submission, usually you think of them as being low, don't you? As, as being humble. And, you know, um, I heard one lady say, submission is kind of that thing where you're ducked low enough in submission that God's able to get to your husband. Kind of like the highest point in the room that lightning will strike, <laughs> you know? But a lot of times we're the ones standing in the way blocking God from working. We're hindering that. But as we follow in obedience, as we learn to submit... You know, your husband may say, oh, we need to start putting this money away for retirement, or we're going to do this with our finances. We're going to give this to Faith Promise, or I see this need in the church, and I've got to give to it. And you're thinking, I'll be honest with you, um, I have never, my, I, had, I, have, I am so thankful for the home I was raised in. My parents always taught me, you never can outgive God, and that's always been so true. I've never been afraid to give to the Lord at all. Never. But then there's sometimes I look at my house and I think, boy, I really need to fix this. You know, I've got a crack in my kitchen floor and it's been there for a while. And I keep thinking, I want to, you know, and the devil will get in your mind and he'll say, you know, have you ever thought how much you give to faith promise and you give to all these things at the church? You could have your floor fixed a couple times, you know. And, 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 you know, I have to keep my heart submissive because I know that's right. This is something I can live with. But, you know, I, I can't make it hard on my husband. I can't nag him and, and discourage him from doing what he wants to do. And, you know, we want to try to change things about our husband. But you know what? Really, when we learn to submit ourselves and change, God's able to work in greater ways than we ever could. And I think a lot of times we have it in our mind that it's up to us. If our husband's going to change or he's going to do something or we don't feel like he's doing right and we try to stand in the way, we're really hindering God from working in his life. You know, somebody said this to me one time, and it's, it's really a great thing. I'm not always going to give an account for our home. That's my husband. One day my husband is going to stand, stand before the Lord. He's going to give an account for how he, how he led our home, the decisions he made for our home. He's going to give an account for that. He's going to give an account for our children, how our children are raised. Do you know what I'm going to give an account for? How I was submissive, how I followed in obedience. You know, you think about Sarah last night, how she followed in obedience, calling him Lord. You know, that's a tough thing. You know, Carrie will tease me sometimes. So it's biblical, you know. And, you know, I I think, "Hmm, okay. But, you know, really, I mean, that's submission. To call somebody who takes you in a wicked place and and ask you to do something horrible. But, you know, God dealt with Abraham, didn't he? And God will deal with our husbands if they lead us wrong. But one day I am going to give an account. I'm going to stand before the Lord and he's going to say, Amy, were you submissive? I commanded you to be submissive to your husband. Did you follow? And I'm going to give an account for that. And I have to remember that, that it's the Lord's job to to work in my husband's life. The second thing, our second point, so we know that we need to support him spiritually, encourage him emotionally, 
um, you know, I think a lot of times we think our husband's not emotional. You know, we're the emotional creature. We're the ones that our emotions are up one minute. Isn't it amazing the range of emotions you can have in like five minutes time? You're happy and then the dog gets sick on your new kid, on your new carpet and then you're down in the dumps and then your kids come in and call you, give you a sweet card that they made for you and you're way up here and then the next minute you have no lunch meat to make their lunch and we're just constantly up and down, you know, and that all happens in about five minutes. And we don't ever think about our husbands being emotional, but they are. They are emotional creatures. And we need to learn. We have such a great power as women in our tongue and in our mouths that we can tear down and destroy without even thinking. Or we can build up and encourage. Um, I read something that talked about femin- the power of femininity. And it talked about femininity was like that great, that, that small turbine which controls those, those great dams that generates electricity that will you know, light up whole towns and cities. And you know what? We can use that to our advantage. We can use that the way that God intended us to use it, or we can use it to be destructive. And we can tear our husbands down. We can defeat him from serving the Lord. We can defeat him from moving forward by um, how, we, how we handle our tongues. Undisciplined and unchecked, the way we treat our husband, it has the power to devastate, demoralize, and, and utterly destroy And we need to learn to show honor. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time. My husband kind of covered that yesterday. But the importance of that, even if it's not deserved. One of the greatest examples of this in my life is my father-in-law. And um, my father-in-law, if you've ever met him, I know Miss Joyce met him. I look at my father-in-law as the quiet giant. I mean, he is just the most humble, gracious. He's in his late 70s now, started a church when Carrie was... um, didn't get saved till he was out of high school. He was actually on the path to become an alcoholic and um, happened into a church, and God saved my, my father-in-law. And um, a young man, uh, a man took him under his wing and um, told him he needed to be an usher and even had a tie in his pocket. He said, you can't usher without having a tie and would bring my father-in-law a tie and give it to him. And then my father-in-law started working in a children's church, and there was a lady playing the piano. And he thought, ooh, she's kind of pretty, and that's my mother-in-law. But just to see the grace of God and how God worked in my, 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 my mother and father-in-law's life. And, you know, I look at him um, when my um, Carrie's grandfather, Papa, um, his, his wife had died several years before. And Papa started um, having Alzheimer's dementia and um, got to a place. He lived right behind him, but in the middle of the night, he'd sneak out and end up in the neighborhood trying to find his way back somewhere. And, They ended up having to put him in a nursing home. Um, But every morning, my father-in-law would go down to the nursing home, every single morning, and he'd go down and he would shave Papa and he'd comb his hair. My my grandfather, Carrie's grandfather, was a barber and always took great pride in his hair. And Carrie's dad goes down every morning and combs his hair and fixes him oatmeal and feeds it. And Carrie went with him one time and he said, Dad, you pay all this money to this nursing home. They can do this stuff for Papa. You don't have to come down here. And he said, you know... Carrie said, it used to be a burden to me when I took care of your, well, your papa. But he said, a verse in Matthew stood out in my mind. And this is the verse, Matthew 25, 40. It says this, and the, king shall an- and the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, as inasmuch as ye have done it unto the, one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. And he said, you know, it started to get a burden. And boy, God just dealt in my heart. He told Carrie, and he said, you know, Carrie, every day I come down and I, br- I comb papa's hair. I just picture I'm combing Jesus' hair. And every day I feed him and I fix him oatmeal. It's like I'm feeding the Lord Jesus Christ myself and I shave him. And, you know, I, I thought about that in my own life so many times. You know, we get frustrated with our spouse or we get frustrated with the things they do or maybe the way that we don't think they're treating us right. But, you know, everything I do for my husband, if I have the right attitude, it's as if I've done it to the Lord. And, you know, 
the Lord deserves honor. And the Lord's put my husband and my children in my life and our church members and those around me. And if I can, if I can do that and I'll show honor, it's as if I've done it unto the Lord. And you know, um, another thing I've, I've thought about in our husband's emotions, you know, at the core of every man, there's three, three basic concepts. Their desperate desire for battle or to conquer something. You know, you remember when you were dating and you were the, you were the deer and he was the hunter <laughs> and he chased you. And, you know, my mom used to always say that, don't make it easy. You make him chase you, you know, you make him work for it. You know, you don't just, no matter how much you like that boy, you make him work for it. He'll appreciate it a lot more. And, you know, an adventure to live. Do you remember when you used to, what maybe made you fall in love with your husband was his adventurous spirit. He was the great hunter. My husband loves to hunt or the great fisherman. He'd come back and tell the stories about the great fish. You know, it was probably this big, but, you know, it was the whale that he caught or the great shark, the great white shark, you know. Um, and, and that's our men. They have this desire and a desire for a beauty to rescue, you know, to be that knight in shining armor riding up in the white horse. And at the core of every man, he has these three things. You know, he desires to conquer and be the master of his domain. So why not let him? You know, a lot of things that we forget, we, we take on and we do in his place and we get frustrated then because he doesn't do things at our house. We'd, we'd step in and do things. You know, when's the last time you gave him a jar of pickles and you could have opened it, but she said, oh, I just can't get it. And then when he, oh, you just are like, oh, let me feel your muscles, you know? <laughs> Can you imagine how that would go with your husband, you know? Or I just can't pick up this bag and you can and you let him carry it and he just feels like, them, you know, or could you please help me with this thing? A lot of times we just, we just take over and we do things and we don't brag on him and make him feel like this conqueror. And, you know, we need to support him emotionally. You know, a lot of times, too, like I said earlier, the things we, we liked about him, that he was the great hunter, my husband in his office, because it doesn't match any of the decor in my home, so it gets to be in his office. It's the big deer, you know, the big deer head. And I'll, I just said, why don't we make your office like hunting? And he, ooh, yeah, that way I didn't have to have it in the middle of my living room. <laughs> but, and, you know, those things that he loves to do, but then as we, as we get, we want that time with us. We want him to go shopping with us and we take away those things. We don't let him have an outlet for his, his energy. We don't let him go golfing or we don't let him go fishing or, cause we want family time. And, and those things are important, but sometimes we need to give him an outlet to go do some things and, and have those things where he comes home and he can brag about the big fish he caught or the, his score, you know, that he was under par in his golfing or whatever. And, those are things, you know, we, we take that side away from him a lot of times once we get married. You know, and he wants a beauty to conquer. When's the last time your husband left the house without you being fixed up? Or what does he come home to? You know, a messy house or a wife that doesn't take care of herself anymore. When I was in college, I just remember we had a, a class, and it was actually called a pastor's wife class. Mrs. Hiles taught it. I went to Hiles Anderson for my first two years. And I just remember her saying, ladies, you got to leave your husband leaving for work, wanting to come home. <laughs> you know, And I, that always stayed in my mind because she said, if you don't give him something to want to come home to, he'll find somebody else that gives him that. And you're the one that God's given to him to meet these needs and to encourage him and to dress up a little bit, to fix yourself up, do little special things for him. Tell him that, you know, love him enough to tell him that. And these are all things probably that we desire for him to do for us. But you know what? When we start doing these for him, you'll be surprised what you'll get out of this as well. The next point, so we, we support him spiritually. We encourage him emotionally. And this one, I don't want to spend too much time because... I'm very modest, but enjoy him sexually. <laughs> and I, I, you know, that's a lot of things we don't talk about. 
But you know, this is you're meeting your husband's greatest need. I don't think we'll ever understand the mind of a man. I really don't. But you know, this is one of the greatest needs. My husband will tell me, Amy, you don't you don't know how much I needed that. That it clears my mind. That it it helps him focus. And and it's not always in my my agenda to do. Be honest with you. <laughs> That's probably at the bottom of the list a lot of times because, you know, we go to bed. And this is a great illustration I read. Can you imagine us after working all day taking care of all of our kids and taking care of the house and all the stresses of work? You know, I work a full-time job just like my husband at the church. We, we put about 60 hours a week at the church. I homeschool an 8-year-old who has a hard time staying focused. <laughs> and, um, you know, the pressures of ministry and then trying to take care of your house. And it would be like me going home after all of that, sitting down and somebody putting my favorite dish in front of me. And I just say, you know, I'm not really hungry and not wanting it. And then we think about our husband who has not eaten all day, is starved. He comes home and somebody puts his favorite meal in front of him and they say, you can look, but you can't touch. <laughs> you know, think about it that way. And we, you know, if you survey women, they say we always have sex. <laughs> and our husbands say we never have sex. <laughs> we never do that. You know, I don't think in a man's mind, enough is ever enough. Whereas we could say, well, I check off my box and we do it a couple times. Um, you need to remember that you're the only one that can meet that need in your husband's life. You should be the only one that wants to meet that need in your husband's life. And if you're not meeting it, somebody else will. And we have such a great responsibility in that. Don't endure it. Enjoy it. You know, sometimes I think that's where communication has to come in. We need to sometimes tell our husband what we like and what we don't like. And and I know this is an embarrassing subject for me as much as you, but, you know, I, I think this is so important that God created this intimacy. He created it for pleasure. He created it for two becoming one, that connection that comes from that. There's beautiful benefits that come from that. You know, um, I will tell you those times, don't you just feel close to your husband? You feel loved and cherished when you allow yourself to be, when it's not just a duty, and you can enjoy that. So we're going to move on now. Enjoy him sexually, okay? Um, I know. <laughs> I'm looking at that back wall. I'm not looking at anybody's faces <laughs> at this point. But then, you know, appreciate him vocationally. And, and you know, um, I think the thing that we need to learn as women is we need to learn to be content. You know, um, Philippians 4, I love how Paul is in this passage, and he's talking about, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And, you know, um, we've heard the verse with godliness, with contentment is great gain. I think a lot of times we put so much pressure in our, in our husband's lives because of our wants. We want a better house. We want a better car. We want better clothes. We want better vacations. And we don't learn to be content. And, you know, we need to watch our spending. We put, we put undue pressure on our marriage. Some of the greatest struggles in marriage, if you, probably number one is sex. If you want the honest truth, if you, if you question, if people are going through turmoil in their life, a lot of times at that is intimacy is probably at the top of the list. Maybe the husband doesn't get it as much as he wants. The wife, they can't find common ground on that. Probably the second greatest thing is your finances that can bring struggle into a marriage if you don't have a handle on it. Whether it's struggling going from paycheck to paycheck, we have a great responsibility in that. That our husband just doesn't think he works just to bring in a paycheck so we get from paycheck to paycheck. You know, one of the fun, one of the most fun things I've ever done 
it does take a lot of work, is that couponing. Now, I haven't done it for a while. I got into it for a little bit where this lady in my church was showing me all the free stuff she got. <laughs> you know, you went to all the websites, and it takes a lot of time. But, you know, I have learned to live frugally. You know, um, I think sometimes that we don't want to put, we need to make our husband feel like he's a great provider. I think your husband, if you ask him, what is one of the greatest things you want to do for me? He wants to provide for you. My husband has said that many times. It was so important to him. When we first got married, we lived in a single-wide trailer, a 1970s model with gold shag carpet <laughs> and paneling on the wall. It was, it was beautiful. And it was single-wide. Only one could put down the hallway at the time. And um, um, it was small. And um, we did things. We painted. I remember one time I painted the paneling. I thought, at least I can paint my walls. And that was back in the 90s when Hunter Green was like the color. And I remember I spilled like a half a gallon of green paint in that carpet. And I thought... I'm going to get new carpet out of this. Do you know every bit of that green paint came out of that carpet? I mean, that stuff was indestructible. And um, But, you know, um, I just remember we, we lived, we thought it was a big deal. I worked at a bank, and um, they would give us these coupons for like a Papa John's pizza for $5, and that would be our Friday night date night. We thought we were big stuff if we went and got like a Papa John's pizza and took it home. But we ate a lot of hamburger helper. But, you know, um, and then after that, my husband became the pastor of the church, and we moved from the single wide to the double wide. <laughs> had a full basement though. But you know, I was happy. I'm thankful for a mom that no matter, you know, my dad was in the Navy and got saved. God called my dad to preach. We, they had just built their dream home and my parents were willing to sell that. We moved into a home that we lovingly called the bomb shelter. <laughs> we were so embarrassed every time we had to bring friends over. But my parents, my mom made the house beautiful inside and it wasn't the home. It wasn't the decorations on the wall. It wasn't any of that. It was the love and the home that was inside that. And I think so many times we get distracted, we look around at people and we want what they want, the Joneses keeping up with everybody else, and we fail and we put so much pressure on our husbands to have what everybody else wants. And our husband wants to take care of us. It's his greatest need. My husband always said, then we moved to Tampa from there, and when we first started the church, I'm thankful for it because I didn't have to live with my in-laws. But um, when we started our church in Tampa, um, we didn't have any people. We went, and they had a fellowship hall, and that fellowship hall became our home. And we lived in the fellowship hall for four years. And I'm thankful for that. You know, that home, it wasn't anything. It didn't have a bathroom door. It just had a curtain. And I remember the first time we had visitors over, I was so mortified because it was a, we had a doctor visit. And I just thought, it's a white curtain, and you can kind of, when the light's on, you can kind of just see a shadow <laughs> behind it. I was so thankful when we actually put, like, a closet door on it. But we you know, you had to go buy the washer and dryer to get to the bathroom, and it was pretty special. It had white linoleum floor that somebody had mopped with dirty wax, and it had, like, the wax marks everywhere that I spent hours. I would spend every night just chipping with a razor blade. But you know what? My kids were happy. I look back on those times, and those are some of the sweetest times in our marriage and in our home. God provided for us, met needs in ways that, um, you know, I, were miraculous, to be honest with you. And now we're at a comfortable place, you know. I mean, we don't, we're not rich, but we don't worry about things like we did back then. And I almost kind of miss those times sometimes. I don't want to say that too loud. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, we, we can make, my mom taught me that, that you can make something wonderful out of just what you have. And let me encourage you, don't put that added stress on your husband. I, I read this phrase that said, don't poop out your provider. Puff him up. <laughs> I thought that was good. And here's some ways you can puff up your provider. Encourage him. Send a little note to his work telling, you know, like mail it to where he gets it on his work and telling him how proud you are and how thankful you are for him. When's the last time you thanked your husband for his paycheck, for getting up early every day and going to work and being faithful on his job? 
for striving to be good. When's the last time? I, you know, be honest with you, it's not something I've done a whole lot lately, and I need to. I admire my husband. I admire, he works very hard, very long, um, and a lot of times instead of it, me being thankful for it, it creates frustration, and I need to change my view and be thankful for my husband that he's willing to work hard. Ask him if there's anything you can do to help alleviate his stress. You know, what's something, maybe his car needs to be washed or maybe his suits need to be taken to the dry cleaners or maybe there's just something at home that you can take part in to alleviate where you have more time together when he gets home, that it's not hanging on him and weighing on him and, and being there. Tell him he's smart. <laughs> you know, there's that, that old movie and it was like that, that made telling that little girl, you is smart, you is kind, you is important. <laughs> and you know, how many times do we tell our husband that? You know, you is kind, you is smart. You know, build him up, you is important. And um, tell him those things. Call him just in the middle of the day, just to tell him he was on your mind. And you cannot wait for him to come home. I'm telling you, he would hurry home. <laughs> and throw a little bit of something in there, because you're married and it's legal. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you don't just have to wait till an anniversary or Valentine's Day either, ladies. You know, um, Remember that. See how much money you can save by clipping coupons. You know, make it your, if you're, if you're struggling with finances... Then what's your part? What can you do? Learn to shop differently. You know, make menus that you can you can cook and save money, and then be proud that you have this money set aside that you can do something fun. You have just as much responsibility as your husband, and how your money is, how your finances are spent. Make it a point to not complain about finances for one month. You're not going to say anything negative about finances to put that pressure on him, and see what happens in that month. And it'll probably carry over. Another thing, don't clip his wings. In other words, when your husband is ambitious or he has an idea or something the Lord's laid on his heart, never stand in his way. And you know, so many times my husband, I, I when he announces that he wants to do something different or we set the church calendar, a lot of times in my mind I'm just thinking, oh, I just wish we had more time. I wish not every little blank on a calendar has to have a pencil mark in it. You know, we can actually take some time and do some things. But you know what? I don't want to stand in the way of what God's calling him to do. And, you know, your husband may have a vision of, uh, maybe your husband is a businessman or he has, he has this entrepreneurship idea that he wants to do to make things better for your home. And as, as afraid as you are, you pray about it, but you like, let him lead. You know, God's going to take care of you. You look at, look at the story of Sarah and Abraham. By her responding correctly, God took care of her. God took care of her husband. And remember, you know, not that you can't give wisdom. Uh, you know, there, you know, God has put you two together, and you need to have that communication. There was a story I read, and it was a really cute story. It was a wife of a councilman, and he was a big wig in their city. They went to check on a project, and when they went to the project, the job site, there was a construction man there, and it was a, an old boyfriend of the wife. And here he is, this construction wife. Well, the councilman, thinking he was something big, walked away and he said, aren't you glad you didn't marry him? Would you want to be married to a construction worker? And she looked at him and said, if I had married him, he'd be a councilman. (laughs) And you know what? She chose not to clip her husband's wings. You know, we need to be that encourager, that woman that encourages our husband, not just emotionally, but encourage him vocationally too. You know, uh, encourage him on his job. You know, be careful how you offer advice. You know, sometimes your husband wants to talk to you about something, and a lot of times we want to give it our three-point outline, and we think we know it all. Sometimes just a suggestion where you can turn it, where it's his idea, (laughs) goes a long way. You know, don't add to his pressure. Value his profession no matter what it is. You know, um, don't belittle him. You know, if he works hard and he brings home a pay and he takes care of you, 
He may not be the councilman. He may be the construction worker. Never belittle him for his profession. Encourage him. But here's something that is your part that you can do. Pray for your husband. Pray for wisdom on his job. God will give him wisdom if he's going to promote him or give him, you know, where he can do better. You pray for wisdom. You pray for godly coworkers, and that is so needed. Our husbands, um, I'm thankful my husband's a preacher. We work at the church with all of our church staff. My husband's not out in the world, but we have men in our church who work, and they work in some ungodly situations with coworkers who are just worldly. The talk that they talk in the lunchroom or the, 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 the conversation at the, you know, break room or things, you know, dinners that they're supposed to go to where there's alcohol or different appropriate things. Pray for godly co-workers to come and encourage your husband. Um, pray that your husband will find a good balance between work and home. And, I, you know, that is so needed. Then engage him intellectually. Communication is key. Women are hunters. Men are hunters. So this creates confusion in your husband. When you want him to read your mind, guess what? He never will. <laughs> a man will never think like a woman. He will never get what you're hinting at. Learn to communicate. You know, have a realm that you can communicate in, whether it's some things you're concerned about, some frustrations. You have boundaries. Rules of engagement is what we call them. Things you'll never say, things you'll never do, you know, and at the end that it'll come to a solution. You won't stop talking until you've come where both can agree. You know, sometimes you need to have that. Um, Men are hunters. They hear a problem and they instantly want to find a solution. You know, let's fix this. Sometimes things can't, sometimes we just need to talk and air some things out that we don't want a solution. Sometimes, I'll be honest with you, I'll tell my husband, I don't want a three-point outline. I just want you to listen to me. <laughs> but when I tell my husband a problem, he has a whole sermon, a verse, text, beginning and then an invitation, you know. <laughs> and I'm like, I just really want to talk to you. I don't want you to, you know, just listen, be my sounding board. But you have to communicate that. Um, make communication plain and simple. Don't make it clouded or based on total emotion. Um, you need to have a, an area that you can talk. Don't constantly engage your husband in emotional battles. He isn't equipped to fight. Here's an example. You know, you may have feelings that go low. You know, um, you may feel ugly. You may feel um, unwanted. You may feel invisible. You may feel fat. You know, um, I, there was a, a lady in our church, and she was telling a story about um, this big fight that they had had, and it was simply her husband was trying to be sweet. He picked her up lunch and brought it to her, and the person at the restaurant accidentally pushed down the diet tab on her soda, and she took it as she was fat because he brought her Diet Coke by mistake. And, you know, it wasn't, he was trying to be sweet and do something kind, but, you know, when she got that drink, she took it as, he must want me to lose weight, and she totally misread the situation. You have to make sure that emotions are set aside and that you can engage him intellectually. You know, um, your husband will become frustrated and will end up turning off the supply. This was a great uh, illustration I read. It was kind of like, you know, have you ever had a pipe that has a slow leak and you might put a bucket under it and you don't tell your husband, you let it go, and then it's a little bit more water and a little bit more water, and then finally by the time you tell him, the floor's warped, the cabinet's warped, and then you have to call a professional plumber. And you know what? Start dealing with things as they come up, issues. Don't let them build. A lot of times what happens is there's an injury and it's not dealt with and it's kind of like a cup of water sitting here that's full and it doesn't take much to bump it and it spills over. And then little things that are small to begin with become huge because we're adding everything else into the mix and we need to learn to deal with things the right way. Pick your battles wisely. You know, ask God for wisdom. Is this something really that I should be hung up on or is it something that we can get past and we? I, I just need to deal with it and get through, or is it something I need to talk? Be quick to forgive, and I think that's hard. Let me let me encourage you with this. I think a lot of times we have the misnomer that 
you can forgive and forget. That's impossible. Even, even in God's word, I think some people say, oh, God forgives and forgets. The word of God doesn't say that. The word of God says that he chooses, oh, I'm sorry. He chooses not to remember. I'm sorry, I'm almost done. He chooses not to remember. And you know what? It's a choice that you make not to remember. And then the last thing, really quick, and I know we're done. Stand by him permanently. For better, for worse, good times and bads. You know, one thing Carrie and I always determined at the beginning of our marriage, divorce is never an option. We don't throw that word around. We don't use it. You know, um, Luke 17 tells us offenses will come. You know, if you woke up every day and wrote on your calendar, today I'm going to be offended, then you know what? You wouldn't be surprised when it happened. You know, offenses will come, and you have to deal with those. And um, one thing I just want to tell you, remember that marriage is God's idea. Do you know in all of creation, there was only one thing he said was not good, and it was that man was, the man was alone. So it wasn't, it wasn't our idea. It was God's idea, and you need to ask God to do that. You know, when we follow God's plan, happily ever afters really do exist. You can have that ordinary become extraordinary, but you have to, God has to be, God has to be at the center. You know, I've seen the triangle where God's at the top, and as both of you work towards God, it brings you together, and it's so true, but as you focus on yourselves, it takes you farther away from the Lord, and we need to make sure that, um, it says in Ephesians 5.22, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. And remember, there's no statement in front of that that says when your husband treats you right, when your husband's nice to you, when you feel like it. It's that we are to be submissive and to love our husbands. And I hope today, you know, just a few simple things you've probably heard many times before, but sometimes it's just good to have a good reminder that we need to support him spiritually. We need to encourage him emotionally. We need to enjoy him sexually and appreciate him vocationally. Engage him intellectually, but stand by him permanently. And you know, ladies, as we draw closer to the Lord and we allow the Lord to work, not only the Lord won't just work in our husband's lives, he'll work in our lives as well. And make that ordinary extraordinary. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for today and Lord, for your word and just the principles. And Lord, I just pray that you would be with each of us. Lord, I know you know each lady individually, you know their home, their situation, their their marriage. Lord, you know the areas that um, we need to have you work and give us great wisdom. Lord, I pray today will be an encouragement. Bless the remainder and the closing session. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.